wanted to begin this morning with a question to ask you all. The question is this, who are your go-to people when you're hurting? I ran into somebody hurting just on my way in this morning. I've talked to several people in our church this week going through things hurting. But who's your go-to person or people? Got them in your mind? And if I were to ask you why them, why those people, my guess is one of the reasons you would tell me is that they have compassion. They're people of compassion. Did you know that God is full of compassion? Depending on where you grew up or what, what preacher you grew up under, or what you grew up learning about God, you, you may or may not know that God is full of compassion. I'll show you from Scripture. If you have your turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start at verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard this, a context is important before we read on. we got to say, when Jesus heard what? It was when he heard about murderous Herod taking the life of John the Baptist and that Herod was threatened by Jesus' ministry. That's what Jesus heard. Because when he heard that, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. You say, Jesus, why, why withdraw? It wasn't time to die yet. He had more work to do before the cross, much of it preparing his disciples for what was about to happen, so he got out of there. Matthew goes on, when the crowds heard it, that Jesus had withdrawn, they followed him on foot from the town. So Jesus and his guys in a boat, the crowds on foot on land, and they they went after him, and this was no casual hike. Mark tells us in Mark 6.33, they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Later on, we're going to read this is a great crowd, so the word stampede comes to mind. You don't want to be the guy in front that falls down. There's a large mass of people hurrying to, to get there, to get there ahead of them. Verse 14 says, when Jesus went ashore in the boat, of course, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. What does compassion mean? It means to to be moved inwardly by another person's situation. And in Jesus' case, it was always accompanied with moving toward that person, to minister to that person. You say, why did they need compassion? Mark tells us in 634, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, we need to remember there's a difference between those who are led astray by the lies of the enemy and the enemy himself. 2 Corinthians 4.9 tells us the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Jesus has compassion on lost sheep. And he taught them the truth. I know many of you 
see the needs of the world around us and you have compassion too. But don't we sometimes, if we're honest, feel so small in light of the needs, in light of the challenges, whether it's out there or in our own sphere, our own family, our own friends, our own church. And the truth is this, we are small on our own. We're finite, we're limited, but this morning I want to tell you there is more to the story. There's more to the story. I want to bring three encouragements for disciples of Jesus today. Number one, I know you feel small. How do I know that? Because I feel that way myself. I know you feel small, but Jesus wants to use you, believer. He wants to use you. You think about the reasons that we feel small. Sometimes we feel small just because we're tired. We're weary. Listen to this second reason for why they withdrew. Mark tells us in chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles, they've been out on ministry on his behalf. They returned and told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. You ever been there? So busy that you're skipping meals? That's how it was for these guys. Why would the Savior say to them, let's go and rest? Because they needed it. They needed it. I believe the disciples were spent, they were worn down, they were weary, maybe even at the end of their ropes. You been there? Anybody there this morning? That's one reason we feel small. Sometimes another reason we feel small is because of the size of the need. You look around and you see the size of the need and it makes you feel small. Verse 14, I told you, says this was a great crowd. Verse 21 breaks it down. About 5,000 men besides women and children. So a conservative estimate, this was a day when many families were large, but let's just be conservative. Let's add one wife and one child to each man. You're talking a crowd of 15,000 people. This room's about 100. Multiply this times 150. No wonder we read in 1415 of Matthew, it says, When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day's now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. It makes sense, right? Right? Now, I want you to think about something. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers and put food in front of every one of those people. But listen, he wanted to use his followers. How do we know this? Verse 16, Jesus said to his disciples, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Imagine if I'm one of the 12, I'm like, come again? (laughs) 
You talking to me? That's essentially what they said in verse 17. They said to him, uh, we have only five loaves here and two fish. That leads to another reason we often feel small. Sometimes we feel small because what we bring to the table compared to the size of the challenge, right? John shows us more in chapter 6, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? I mean, at least Andrew brought it up, but do you see what's going on? He's comparing the lunch to the crowd. Just put yourself in his sandals for a minute. I want you to imagine you go to a Diamondbacks game. And, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, everybody in this full stadium is hungry. And I want you to feed them. And they say, here you go. And they hand you a Happy Meal. Can you imagine how confused they were? That leads to the second point of encouragement for disciples today. I know you don't always understand. But Jesus calls us to trust him. How do I know that? I find myself there regularly. I don't understand all that he's up to. Why this? Why that? But Jesus calls us to trust him. We know this because before Andrew even brought the lunch, Jesus said something interesting to Philip. John chapter 6, verse 5 says, Seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Hey, Philip, where so that these people may eat? Why Philip? Well, Luke 9 tells us they were at a town called Bethsaida. That's where Philip was from. He knew where the fries and Walmarts were. <laughs> but why? Why did Jesus ask Philip this? Was Jesus stumped? Did he need Philip's advice? No. John 6, 6 says, Jesus said this to test Philip. To test him, for Jesus himself knew what he would do. It was a test. Would Philip's solution be limited to human possibilities? Or would he put his trust in Jesus? Been in that test before? I have. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. I'm going to paraphrase. He's saying seven months pay, Jesus. Seven months of pay would only buy each one of these people a nibble. He might have added, and who in the world is going to haul it out all out here to this desolate place? DoorDash does not exist yet. What's his answer tell us? Philip was thinking only on the human level at this moment. But who of us could cast a stone at Philip? How many times do you and I do the exact same thing? We encounter a challenge, 
a need, a, a burden, something in our own lives or families or the life of something we care about, something in the world, and our thinking stays limited to human reasoning. What can I do? What can I do to fix this? And it wasn't just Philip. Matthew 14, verse 17 says, They said to him, They said to him, the, the disciples together, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. The invitation to trust goes on. Luke 9, 14 says, He said to his disciples, Have down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. Can you see it going on our 15,000 number, 300 groups of 50? I imagine it took some time as the disciples walked through and told them to, to sit down. And I like to imagine the questions the disciples may have gotten from the crowd, which may have sparked their own questions. Why are you making us sit down? Were any of the disciples like, I don't know. Jesus said to. Or maybe it was the other way. Maybe some of the disciples are thinking, this is really going to build up their expectations. Jesus better have something pretty awesome up his sleeve, or we're going to look like a bunch of fools. John 6.10 adds a very interesting detail here. He says there was much grass in the place. Could it be, listen, that the same John who later tells us Jesus is the good shepherd is alluding back to Psalm 23? Think about it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We know Jesus had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So let's go on. Third point of encouragement for disciples today. Jesus works through us. But let's not forget the glory goes to God alone. The glory goes to God alone. Matthew 14, verse 19. says, he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Now, we don't know the exact words Jesus said, but it may have been a common Jewish blessing for bread. Said in every Jewish house in Israel, the Baraka. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. He praises the Father and gives him the glory for what's about to happen. And he broke the loaves. Mark says he divided the two all as well and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. See what's going on? God did it, but the disciples got to pass it out. They did, did that huge crowd get enough? Look at verse 20. They all ate and were satisfied. John 6, 12 tells us they 
ill. Now, with three grown boys who are hungry an hour after dinner, that's a minor miracle even in our house. We may be talking about 15,000 people, maybe more, and they all ate their fill. But it wasn't even just that. It wasn't just enough. Watch this. Matthew says they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. John tells us more about that in chapter 6, verse 12. He told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Imagine being one of the 12 right there. I imagine wonder in their eyes as they saw all these hungry bellies filled. I imagine joy in their hearts as they each carried their own basket of leftovers. Jesus had not only provided enough, it was more than enough. And not just for the crowds, but for the disciples as well. And they got to pass it out to the people. Now think about what's going on here. The reason the disciples had something to offer the people was because of what Jesus had done. How encouraging this had to be for them after seeing Jesus rejected repeatedly. And there's encouragement for disciples of Jesus today as well. On our own, we are small. But that's not the rest of the story. Listen, because of what Jesus has done, we have good news to share that is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He has sent us the Holy Spirit who gives us spiritual gifts to serve and dwells within us. Indeed, Christ has given us himself. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Would that change your life if you really believe that walking out of here today? think about his presence with us and I, I think about how challenges challenges in this world come in all shapes and sizes I think about something our family went through this week Friday we said goodbye to a pet that we've had for four years it was our second guinea pig and in, in four years and now some of you are saying they're rodents come on but you get close to them just like you do to a dog we could tell for the past week she was sick and the day before she passed, all three boys had her out and they were petting her, gave her a bath, tried to put a strawberry in front of her to try to get her to eat. And then Friday night, one of the boys found her gone. So later on today, we're going to have a, a service in our backyard. But one of the boys who had been at camp, he said, you know, as we, we go through this with 
with the, the guinea pig, I keep thinking about a verse they told us at camp where the theme was not alone. It, he said, I keep thinking about Matthew twenty-eight twenty, where Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think about that reality, believer. I think about that, and I think about a quote I saw yesterday on a poster for the movie Only the Brave about our hot shots. It takes on a whole new meaning in light of what we're talking about. Quote said, it's not what stands in front of you, it's who stands beside you. I don't know what you're facing, believer, but Jesus is not only beside you, he's in you. So in light of this miracle that we're talking about here, I like to say it this way. It is not the size of your lunch that matters, but the hands in which you place it. I want to close with a question. And as I pose this question, I have the lost in mind. Those who may be here or listening online who, who are like, sheep without a shepherd, but it's a good question for all of us to think about it. What kind of king is this? This Jesus, what kind of king is he? I ask that because John 6 tells us how the people reacted in verse 14 to this awesome miracle. People saw the sign that he had done. They said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again. Say, what? Who does that? They want to make him king and he leaves. Why? He is the king. Isn't that what he wanted the people to understand? And it's true, king was the right title for him. But at that point, they had a limited understanding of what that meant. A throne is the right place for him, but they had the wrong timing. We know this because of what Jesus said to the crowds the next day in John 6. A little summary leading up to it. After the miracle, he left, and guess what? They followed him again. Why'd they follow him? The same reason our family's been hitting up the new Bosa in Prescott Valley. Free donuts every day till July 4th. Okay, in this case, it wasn't donuts, it was bread, right? And I know today we got a lot of options on, on, our, on our menu. We might say to bread, no thanks, I'm keto, I'm, I'm Atkins, I'm cutting back on carbs. But in that day, we need to understand that bread was a staple in the diet. Bread was life. We want a king with that kind of provisionary power. And besides, a king with that kind of power, he could set us free from the Romans. That's probably on their minds. Why do I say that? Well, John tells us this happened at Passover time. What were the Jews remembering at Passover time? How God had set them free from Egypt. Sort of like we celebrate our own independence this Tuesday. So that thinking makes sense, right? Freedom was on their minds. But what did Jesus say to them? John 6, 27. For the food that perishes, 
but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. What's he saying? He's saying what you want is not bad, but your appetites are set too low. They're set too low. He goes on in verse 33. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And if you follow the theme of eating throughout the Bible, I believe one of the main reasons the creator made us so that we need to eat is to remind us of this truth. Think about it. At least three times a day, maybe five if you're like me and you're hypoglycemic, we are reminded that we need something outside of us put inside of us in order to live. Every day, repeatedly, we are reminded of that foundation of the gospel, that we need Jesus Christ, the bread of life, to have eternal life. What did he want them to get? He came to meet much deeper needs than physical hunger and brought much deeper provision than physical bread. Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In light of this, I think of a question. What difference does it make if you're delivered from Rome but spend eternity in hell? You could apply the same question to any temporary fix we settle for if we forget our need for eternal life. They needed deeper freedom. They needed their sins washed away. They needed eternal life, and so do we today. That required a special kind of king, a king who was also a priest with a sacrifice to offer. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is why this king withdrew on that day. He had to die on a cross before he ascended his throne again. You see, the Passover not only looked backward, it looked forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was Jesus really showing them through this miracle? through all the leftovers. What kind of king is this? A king who is more than enough for our spiritual needs as well. Is it any wonder that this and the resurrection are the only two miracles recorded in all four Gospels? Thinking about the resurrection, I, I wonder sometimes if years later, his disciples ever sat down to a meal and prayed the Baraka. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. 
but thought of it in a whole new way as they thought of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bread of life from that empty tomb? Let me ask you the most important question you have ever heard. Have you believed in Jesus Christ, the bread of life? If you came in here spiritually hungry, empty this morning, and you're willing to turn to him in faith, you're in a wonderful place. You come talk to any of us, talk to me, talk to any of the elders, talk to the prayer team who's going to be up here at the end. That's why we're here, to point you to Jesus I'll leave you with a promise from Jesus' own lips in Matthew 5, 6, in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Thank you. Thank you for this awesome miracle. Thank you for the physical provision for that hungry crowd of men, women, and children. But thank you so much more for a Savior who is more than enough. Lord, if anyone's here thirsting for that Savior, like that sheep without a shepherd, draw them. Draw them to the Savior who is the bread of life. I pray for the disciples in the room that already followed Jesus but came in feeling beat up and small. May you encourage them with the truths we looked at today. On our own, we, we are small, but that's not the rest of the story. You want to continue to use them. The reality that, that you are with us, in us. And may you receive glory as you use us small, cracked vessels for your kingdom purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.